Welcome, everybody, to the New Sports Order. I am Tom Corbett. He is Sterling Pingree, and we are back as NFL free agency slowed down a little bit, but there's still some, some stuff happening. Still players out there of notable name. But let's kick it off a little different this week. Sterling, how good was the World Baseball Classic? I don't think it's hyperbole to say it was the greatest World Baseball Classic ever. Uh, There was drama. There was compelling uh, players in every game who, I mean, played like on a scale of one to ten, how much more excited are you now about uh, the Red Sox signing Masataka Yoshida? I mean, uh, I immediately went from being like, all right, uh, you know, the Red Sox lineup isn't that good. And, you know, I don't know what this bullpen looks like. And it seems like they're really just you know, holding auditions for the pitching staff. And, you know, the big move was, was signing Yoshida you know, besides extending Devers. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, uh, okay, I mean, this guy just hit like 430 in this tournament and was batting, you know, behind Shohei Otani, and you're like, all right, like, they're sprinkling a little Otani dust on him, just a little, you know, just he, he's being, he, he's he's playing uh, Kenseiko to Otani's Maguire. They're, they're the Japanese Bash Brothers right now. He got the rub, brother, brother. Exactly, a little Hulk dust on it. So uh, it was it was a good tournament. And the thing was, I'd kind of just completely forgotten about it. One of the things with the pandemic, and I had to look it up. I was like, wait, when was the last World Baseball Classic? Uh, I'm sure one was canceled in the pandemic. It was. The last one was played in 2017. 2020 was canceled. Um, so it had been six years. And in a way, it was like a soft reboot. It, it was like a, a, a grand reopening of the idea, which, you know, the product had been okay in the past. It was what? It was One XFL 2? World- it was XFL 2 yes. rebrand? Yeah, both of them. I mean, that was that was 2020 was the, you know, the sequel, and now this is the, what, third in the trilogy for that. Um yeah, just think of all the things we lost in 2020, and it's the, the World Baseball Classic that never was, and the the second or the first rebrand of the original XFL. Um, I think that the strength of the event, not only the performances and and you know great players, but the the caliber of guys who are participating. I mean, I, I saw some stat of you know, like the nine highest paid players in major league baseball are all playing in it, you know, some, some weird, you know, random style like that or what the overall um, salary would be or payroll would be for the, you know, team USA with, I mean, Trout, Goldsmith, Arenado, Mookie Betts. I mean, just absolutely, you know, loaded one to nine. Trey Turner. The only weakness was the pitching staff. Trey Turner. Yeah, exactly. You forget about Trey Turner. Uh, Kyle Schwarber probably makes the least amount on the, the team and he's, you know, what, 22 million or something. So yeah, Red Sox could have used him last year or this year. Yeah. Could use, could use him for the next you know, three or four years. He's kind of exactly what they're, what they're missing, which by the way, I mean, just th- that at bat last night, uh, you know, great game, three, two game, uh, kind of compelling USA just kind of blew uh, opportunities to score. You know, they only scored the two runs off solo homers, but you know, compelling that you get another Trey Turner home run. 
uh, Kyle Schwarber, 10 pitch at bat, hits a bunch of foul home runs, and then still takes you Darvish into the upper deck. And then that that final moment will be something that that'll be the moment that we will look back on as the World Baseball Classic kind of continues into the future of Otani versus Trout in the championship game, two outs in the ninth inning. Teammates, the biggest game either of them have played in America. You know, j- just that showdown, that that image, uh, that that could be the moment that sort of launches the World Baseball Classic of something that people will talk about because people are i mean this this is leading not only this show today but if i listened to rich eisen earlier he started with the world baseball classic and and trout versus otani pardon my take today uh did a special open just to talk about you know that game and and the finals of the world baseball classic with march madness going on with you know nfl free agency the draft coming up uh nba just everything that's happening right now for for sports news for baseball to all of a sudden just like own, you know, the last like three days since March Madness wrapped up on Sunday is, uh, is great for them because it's, it's, it's difficult for them to go head to head with March Madness. And it beats the hell out of spring training baseball. That is for sure. Now, an interesting thing, and I was just thinking about it, that last at bat, Otani versus Trout, Otani strikes him out. Is that one at bat? almost like the changing of the guard that officially puts Otani as the biggest star in baseball. You, it's a great point. It's, it's a great point. It's a great take. Um, I think it depends on what happens next, but I mean, there's people saying right now that Shohei Otani is the greatest player ever to play baseball. And people are saying without hyperbole, and, and people are not taking them to task for this. Um, I think there is a little bit of prisoner of the moment uh, because of that, but he's the guy. In, in in this moment, he he is the guy. Now, we'll see. He's coming off two extraordinary seasons. Can he continue it? Can he continue to pitch at the level he is? Can he continue to hit at the level he is? You know the fact he he's doing both and how long he he continues to do both. I mean, if he does it for another ten years, I mean, yeah, we're 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 having conversations that he's one of the greatest players of all time. Uh, is he taking over the moment? You know, I mean, it, it, it's it's easy to say that you know Mike Trout's had injuries the last couple of years. I mean, there was a moment sort of last season where it felt like okay, maybe Bryce Harper, you know, who quietly won the MVP two years ago and suddenly leading the Phillies to a world series and clutch home runs in the playoffs. You're like, wow, you know, this is some of the things that, that trout has unfortunately been missing and, and what baseball has been missing and putting guys like trout and Otani on that main stage and, and using that to elevate them is something that doesn't get talked about enough in, in baseball that, yeah, a lot is made that what trout has never won a playoff game. You know, He's Otani never been to the playoffs. In one he, um, but some of the biggest stars, and, and it changed a little bit last year, you know, with Bryce Harper in the World Series. But you saw just what that did. Suddenly, the the star quality of having a Bryce Harper on your biggest showcase was like, okay, here you go, you know, playing the Houston Astros or you know, even the the Dodgers. So, kind of showcasing some of those big names um, can be great for baseball. And we saw it, we saw it last night, and I, I had a thought, Tom, as we're kind of throwing takes out there. Uh, of people 
just going over the top on on Otani that I'll say here, if the Boston Red Sox a year from now sign Shohei Otani in free agency, all is forgiven. I'll forgive him for the bets deal. I'll never, I will never mention it again. Ooh. I, I will never mention Xander walking out the door. That they have made, but between extending Devers and signing Otani, we we are good. I'll say that in in, in this trust tree that we're in today, and that's not of, <laughs> no no Otani take is too far. I will all's forgiven. We're good. I'll I'll shake hands. I will hug John Henry. And that's not like the duh lopsided deal that most would say when someone throws that out there, like Boston's done a lot. They've done a lot to (laughs) piss people off. You might be making the, making the, the gesture on your end, the succession. Okay. I'll let this part go. Yeah. I mean, Hey, it doesn't hurt when you bring in some of his, you know, Japanese teammates ahead of time, I would think. Uh, and man, if you if you're an Angels fan, and you had that great run, kind of what was it, early two thousands, mid mid. Yeah, they won the they won the World Series in O two, and we're kind of there for three or four years, kind of all around there. K Rod. Yeah. All those guys, yeah the the Troy, the Troy Gloss, Tim Salmon, Darren Erstad, you know, yeah, uh, like battling John, with the Tigers, yeah, with Pudge, yep. uh, Troy Percival was the closer before uh, before K Rod, yeah, I mean they they were sort of, I mean o- Oakland was in it too, but yeah, the the Angels, Bartolo Colon, remember when when he was the ace there yep. for a few years, so um, if really, you're yeah, couldn't really get past the Red Sox, but if you're that Angels fan who was fortunate enough to be through, go through that era or worse. If you're a slightly younger and I know there's not a lot of younger baseball fans, but if you're a younger fan, who's a fan of the angels in this whole, you've had this whole run with arguably one of the best players of his generation and Mike Trout. And, you know, you bring in Maddox as manager after this great run with the Cubs, and you end up with Otani, who could be this generational player. He's hitting, he's pitching, he's doing it all. Marketable like no one else in baseball because he markets out to the East, to Asia, Japan. And you don't make the playoffs one time, and then you lose Otani. That makes it, the Red Sox you- look like freaking owners of the year, of the century. Well, it, I mean, you're talking all-time squanders. You know, like it, it was viewed, and still is viewed. I mean, Ted Williams played for 20 plus seasons or over 20 years in Boston and only went to one world series. Now he had five years that were pretty much wiped off the map because of military service, but only went to one world series, you know, Ernie banks never played in the world series. You know, so some of the all time great players 
that never played in October, never won a ring, never came close to winning a ring, especially when it was, you know, you either won the pennant or you didn't win the pennant. There was no, well, they finished second and then they, they upset the Yankees in a best of five. No, no, no. It was, if you had the best record, you went to the World Series, period. And the Yankees went every year and won most years. But still, if you look at history, there's still very few players who, of the all-time of all-time greats, you know, Hank Aaron had that one World Series in 57. Willie, Willie Mays, you know, has a ring. Uh, Roberto Clemente won rings. Uh, you know, so when you look at the, the greats of the greats, you know, most of them have at least a World Series or, or have some, some postseason success. For Mike Trout not to, I mean, it is, it, it's kind of stunning. And and for them to be a major market, I mean, he's not playing, he's not an Oakland athletic. He would have already been traded if he was. He never would have got the, the contract to begin with. He would have already been in the playoffs, <laughs> the Oakland athletic. <laughs> that, that, that's true, too. Almost any other team. It, it really is striking to look at. And no one, because of the profile of those players, no one looks at the Angels as, kind of the failure that they are you know as an organization when you know the the pittsburgh pirates which you know had had a decent little run there where they were a a solid team you know 10 years ago with mccutcheon and young garrett cole and they were routinely in in playoff series they didn't win a lot but you know they were going to the playoffs and now they're kind of back to the bottom and detroit's had moments where you know they went to the world series in oh five oh six um but for the most part, you think of the the Tigers and the Pirates of the last like you know say thirty years. You're like, okay, probably a hundred losses. You know, not, not a lot there. Always rebuilding when they get superstars, they typically you know end up leaving town. The Angels have never really been that team that it, when the Red Sox play them, I'm like, ah, oh, geez, you know, we're just gonna sweep the Angels. They're always a team like, well, I mean, they got Trout and Otani, and they usually have some decent pitching. They're never a pushover. They just don't win. Yeah. And I, I think I said Maddox, or I meant Madden, Joe Madden. Who, <laughs> I, I paused for a minute when he said he came from the Cubs. I'm like, did I black out? And there was a moment where either Greg, Greg or Mike Maddox was the manager of the Cubs? I meant Joe Madden, who came and gone without hardly a whipper. And plus, you think about it now where – damn near half the teams make the playoffs. There's like three wild cards now. It's like complaining if your team doesn't make it even into the play-in game in the NBA. Like, oh, you couldn't make it into the top 10. You can't complain. Well, not, not only that, look at their division. They're not facing a murderer's row every year. You know, Texas, aside from, you know, the World Series that they gave away to the Cardinals, you know, a yeah, decade like, ago. What, Cole Hamill? Uh, yeah, I mean, they, like, they've, they've had some stars. I mean, they, they went kind of all in on, oh, you know, we'll, we'll load up with Prince Fielder, and, uh, you know, then they lose to Shara. And, the, you know, like they've, they've spent money. I mean, they spent money this year bringing in, you know, DeGrom and Seager and, um, but they're one. I mean, they're never a powerhouse. The the Oakland A's are another one that, I mean, God knows how they do it. They're like Tampa Bay West that they have one of the lowest payrolls in baseball, and they're typically fighting for the playoffs with a cast of characters you've never really heard of. And yeah, the Houston Astros have been, you know, pretty much a wagon for like the last eight seasons. 
but that shouldn't be enough just to keep you out of the playoffs completely. You know, so it's not that they're facing a division where it's just impossible to win and there's a log jam at the top. It's you know, for the most part, you, you should be in the top half of that division all the time with the, the talent that they have and the money that they have spent. But I don't know, poor, poor investments, poor ownership that, you know, who, what the, the angels are. And part of this is geography. They are the baseball equivalent of the chargers. Always seem better than they kind of are. You're never really surprised when they disappoint. So, I mean, a, a couple of years ago, uh, it was a friend's bachelor party, and he wanted to do like a weekend series at Fenway. So I was kind of in charge of planning, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, all right, what would be the best? If you're going to go see a team, who are you going to pick to see for like two days or maybe three days? And I picked the Angels because I wanted to see Trout, Pujols, in Otani and, and seeing being in that ballpark with the three of them. I mean, you're, you're seeing Albert Pujols who ends up being one of the four players with 700 home runs in his career. Otani, this was, I believe his second season. So he was still sort of feeling it out, but you saw a lot of talent, but wasn't putting up the numbers yet. And Mike Trout who then hit the, probably the hardest ball I've ever seen hit in person out over the monster for a home run in that series. But you pick the angels. Yeah, but they're they're, they're like the Brooklyn they're, Nets. You know, they're a great show. Yeah, they're the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> they always bring in flashy people. They have people you want to watch, but they've never they've never won when it mattered. Uh, last, Angels are more likable than the Nets. True. Depends which iteration. You know, the Pierce Garnett, like oh, oh okay, okay, I can appreciate them. They're past their prime, but I'd still love to see him play is what I was thinking. Darren Williams, maybe not as much, but yeah, I think it's last, last thing in Brooklyn. I think you lost it. Yeah. Uh, last thing on the baseball. God, I, I didn't look up what his age is right now. Ken Griffey still got a sweet, sweet swing. How cool was that? Just wa- and not only watching him, but watching all the players watch him. You know, the the look on Mike Trout's face as he's watching Ken Griffey Jr. You know, hit a ball out at again. I'm trying to. I mean, he's got to be fifty two, fifty three. While you're talking, because I think yeah, I mean, he made his debut. I think he was like nineteen in 1989. So yeah, he's got to be about fifty two or fifty three. I would yeah, say fifty three. Um, yeah, you know, just. That, that's the cool thing. And the fact that those guys are involved, the, the star power is what will will make this succeed. And it's what we've seen from international competition in other sports that, you know, so far really doesn't. I mean, the, you know, Olympic hockey, not having NHL players, you know, you just start to kind of lose interest when you don't know who it is. Even watching some of the WBC you know, some of the pitchers that the U.S. is putting out there after after Wainwright and Lance Lynn and, and some of the guys that are going out there, I'm like, I, I'm not sure I really heard of this guy. Like, who – the starting pitcher last night <laughs> goes out there, and I'm like, wait, what are we doing? You know, this is the, the big winner go home game, and, you know, we're essentially going with an opener, like we're the Tampa Bay Rays. So I, I think that's one thing that, that they need to sort of figure out, but – the, the talent on all the teams. I mean, you look at any roster and you, you recognize a lot of you know, top-tier talent that are willing to play in this. So that 
that speaks volumes to it and, and will give the WBC a chance to succeed a lot in the future. Yeah, I almost wonder if maybe that longer gap was almost better. Like if you were doing it every three years, would it still have the same pop as, you know, for pandemic reasons, a six-year gap, I think people were almost more excited to see it again. Well, here's the, again, to use a wrestling analogy, uh, it's hard to win a crowd over. You know, if a crowd isn't with you at the beginning of the match, it, it's harder to win them over throughout the course of it. I think that's what the WBC did. Because as that was starting, I'll tell you, even as a huge baseball fan, I didn't totally care. Uh, I wasn't really wasn't paying attention in the beginning. I didn't see the first few games because, you know, you had college basketball was ramping up. Hell, I was watching the XFL. I was watching golf. You know, I was watching the players. Like, there was sort of a lot happening. But, man, you started seeing clips, and you started seeing homers and celebration. I mean, Randy Rosarina, his catch in the uh, Mexico-Japan semifinal game where he robbed a home run, and then he just stood there. It wouldn't show you whether or not he had the ball, but everyone's like, I'm pretty sure he's got the ball. But no one knew what to do, and it was such a cool moment that uh, I like that guys were sort of having fun with it. Uh, so I, it did something that I think is even more difficult to do rather than just get our attention – they brought the attention after people weren't excited. People weren't saying, oh my goodness, it's been six years. It's so nice to have it. I mean, if you didn't have a World Cup you know, for eight years, people would be clamoring for it and talking about it for two years. WBC was a total afterthought. You, you could have told me two months ago that, oh yeah, no, they decided five years ago that they weren't going to do that anymore or they're moving it to the fall. And I, I would have believed any of it because I really honestly had no idea what had sort of become of it. But during the course of, of play, they they really brought me in and, and sucked me into watching these games. So uh, kudos to them. Cause I always thought this was, I, I get why you do it in spring training, but I don't know. I, I feel like I would enjoy it more. I don't know. I mean, it, there probably isn't a, a really a, a correct time. Cause I would yeah. say, well, it'd be great to do it like late in the fall, but then you have NFL and college football and it doesn't work. And you're just I mean, burnt out by right at, 190 yeah. <laughs> some odd games of, of baseball and you're just like, okay, I'm ready for what? Where are they? Huh? What? No. And you you don't want to do it during the, during the middle of the season. Right. And Um, if you do it at the end, I think it becomes very much kind of like the pro bowl in the NFL. I think you get a lot of guys that aren't going to do it because it's coming off the end of the season and they want to just get into their off season. Whereas doing it before they're like, Ooh, this seems like a lot more fun than freaking spring training. I'll go do that. Well, and I think I, I think that's it. Um, and, and it makes it more strategic, you know, the, especially the use of pitchers. You know, you can't go all out because these guys aren't totally stretched out and ready for the season yet. But, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe you start spring training a little earlier, especially for some of these guys who are going to play in it, so that way we get a little more something in February. I, I think it going against March Madness the way it is, if you could find a way to start it a week earlier, so maybe it wraps up before March Madness, you could get a little more traction that way. I think that would be my only my only thing. In this case, it sort of worked out that it was the days after. But, I mean, I wanted to watch more of the games last week. But, you know, you had all the college games going on every day. And, you know, three or four at a time. And then, I mean, hell, I got three TVs on my wall. But it's still, still tough. I didn't have, a, didn't have a square to spare. All right, let's jump ship. Let's move over to the NFL. Not a... Not a huge amount of moves this week. I think we've kind of hit the little bit of a lull 
before the NFL draft storm. And you still have little things chipping off here and there. Still waiting on Aaron Rodgers. I think that is probably going to drag closer to the draft itself. People getting ready. Some trades. Cowboys made another trade. Bring in Cooks, which I liked as a, you know, low risk, high reward. Houston's eating some of his money, and then he restructured the rest when he got to Dallas to make his cap hit even lower. Cowboys have made some smart moves. I like low risk, high reward moves. They're re-signing people. Did lose Dalton Schultz, who was good. He's had some little injury things here and there over the last couple of years. I think more so, and I've done a little little looking around the last couple days since it kind of happened and realized like, oh, people are a lot higher on Ferguson than I gave him credit for, who was the rookie last year. Travis Kelsey put him on his list of, you know, tight ends he wants to see what happens to. So maybe they're going to go with him. Maybe they'll look for somebody else, you know, mid, deeper in the draft. I don't know. Apparently they're a lot higher on Ferguson than I was expecting. You know, they brought back Donovan Wilson, Vander Esch, CJ Goodwin, Russell Mania, Cooper Rush back for another year. And then, of course, bringing in Gilmore and Brandon Cooks. It's been a nice, nice little start to the offseason. You know what's amazing is that Brandon Cooks is still only 29 years old. Yeah. And, and, and almost even more incredible is the fact that uh, I was thinking about this. And I think I heard someone the other day say that Brandon Cooks had set the record because he'd been traded six times. You know, it's, it's ever a free agency. He was traded to New England. New England traded him to the Rams. The Rams traded him ultimately to the Texans, and now he's traded to the Cowboys. So I think it's that he's been traded five times, which still may be a record. But the fact that he's only 29, he was 21 when he came into the league. He's sort of a, a Juju Smith-Schuster who you don't realize how young he is. Just seems like he's been around forever. But I think Cooks is a good move. It's The dumbfounding thing with Brandon Cooks is that he's – been productive everywhere he's been he's a good dude i mean the the year he was with the patriots he was a fan favorite he had big catches um it just the 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 plays that will always stick with me when when it comes to thinking about the the year that brandon cooks was in new england which was 2017 the year they lost to the eagles in the super bowl was it was like a fourth and one play first quarter of super bowl 52 he catches the ball on the outside on a fourth and one and he tries to – he has one-on-one. And this is Brandon Cooks, who is arguably at that point the fastest receiver in the NFL. He has a corner one-on-one on the outside. He catches the ball and tries to vault him. Brandon Cooks is a lot of things. Brandon Cooks is not a tall man. And he tries to vault a cornerback. He essentially got spine-bustered like Arn Anderson hit him, and he did not get the first down. The Patriots' next possession – he got hit in the head, concussed, and was out for the rest of the game. I think part it, of it, it was like part of it is 
I think teams bring him in, and he's very good, but I think a lot of fans expect him to be a number one, and I think he's a very, very good top-end number two. So while he puts up great numbers, it's not number one numbers, and teams somehow get discouraged because they thought they were getting a number one. Yeah, th- there could be something with that. Uh, the other two plays I think of with Brandon Cooks are the wide open uh, ball in Super Bowl 53 with the Rams where he's standing in the back of the end zone wide open and Jason McCourty breaks it up at the last second. And then uh, people forget this one because of the interception that Stephon Gilmore made that kind of sealed that game. Was the play right before it, Goff threw a beautiful ball over the corner. Cooks had it kind of in his arms, it would have been a difficult catch. He was diving towards the end zone, but it was sort of there, and he just couldn't come up with it. That, you feel for him because, I mean, so close. He almost had two touchdowns in a game where his team didn't score a touchdown, and the year before that, he goes out injured. It's like the, the guy is just unlucky, unfortunate, uh, something, and it's too bad because he's – He's been liked everywhere he's been. Seems like an upstanding guy, but has just never found that right fit. And maybe it is in Dallas where he gets to play number two to CD Lamb. He really, I've noticed he hasn't had that. I mean, because he was in the good receiving core. I mean, that was a prolific offense that he was with the Rams in 2018. Pretty damn good offense with the Patriots in 2017, where they set offensive records in the Super Bowl, even in a loss. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I'll be interested to see how it works, but I think. If you were to compare it to going and getting a DeAndre Hopkins or a Jerry Judy or Cortland Sutton and, and giving up a lot of draft capital and, and paying big money for a receiver, yeah, I, th- I think Brandon Cooks is a lot more responsible option for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, a little bit of a down year last year, but you could chalk that up to, to the Texans. To the Texans. <laughs> And who's throwing him the ball? I, I mean, mean, come on now. Right. Last year, or 2021 with the Texans, still had over 1,000 yards, six touchdowns. The year before with the Texans, 1,000 yards, six touchdowns. Rough year his last year and with the Rams. But other than that, I mean, it's, a, it's 1,100, 1,100, 1,000, 1,200. You know, he's put up the numbers. Never usually necessarily a high touchdown guy. I think his high was nine back when he was with New Orleans. He had nine and eight, seven with New England, and then he hasn't gotten over six since then. But he'll get you yards. He's not necessarily going to be that end zone target in the red zone, but he will get you to the to the red zone. Get ready for some jet sweeps. He, he was one of the first guys uh, the Patriots ever had that ran a jet sweep, and, and the Patriots ran it quite successfully with him uh, many times that, that year he was in Foxborough. I, I think if, if, out of his seven touchdowns, I would venture to say at least half of them were off jet sweeps. So that's, we'll see a, what, that's an aspect, though that was also six years ago now. Yeah, we'll see what you know, Mr. Analytics, Mike McCarthy, has in store for for this year's offense. We're all excited to see it. He's got a plan. I'm telling you, he's got a plan. Yep. Not going to tell you what it is, but, but boy, does he have one. 
nothing says I got a good plan in place than bringing in, oh, yeah, that other Schottenheimer. <laughs> Not Marty. <laughs> uh, Brian? Yeah. But I digress. I don't want to talk about the <laughs> the lack of no, it, pizzazz when we bring in a new offensive coordinator. We bring in Schottenheimer. Yeah, we, we, we got months to talk about Brian Schottenheimer's impact on the Dallas Cowboy offense. And we have months I'll not to. One of those. Uh, I'll, I'll take all those episodes off, which I think listeners would too. Um, I heard something today, and I think this is interesting as we – Consider the scenario that Lamar Jackson is in right now. Uh, Kyle Brandt was on Rich Eisen today, and he was posted with, like, what is going to happen with Lamar Jackson? And I think the radio silence, pun intended, uh, that we've heard of the interest in Lamar Jackson, which apparently he's going to do an interview with himself or something, uh, here in the very near future where we're going to learn all kinds of stuff about what's what's really going on with Lamar Jackson, which <laughs> could be a good marketing ploy, kind of like posting himself on Zillow. Give buyers an opportunity to kind of look around, see, what, see what's going on with Lamar, because I think a lot of people, the, the consternation around signing Lamar Jackson is you really have no idea what you're buying outside of he won an MVP, he's mysteriously disappeared the ends of the last two seasons, and he wants a big old guaranteed contract. And everyone's saying, whoa, 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 I need to know a little bit more here uh, about what your scenario is. And he's representing himself. There's word getting out that a, what, un not unregistered his mom? spokesperson. Perhaps his mom. <laughs> Could be his mom. They, we just know that they're not uh, a, a registered individual to be speaking about him is that he is done with the Ravens. Uh, but what Kyle Brandt said today, because I kind of assumed Lamar is going to end up signing his tender for the season and we'll just play one more for the Ravens. It'll be kind of a tense situation, but he'll get through the year and he'll hit the market next year. He'll sign with someone who things didn't work out for this year. Kyle Brandt pontificated that perhaps he just sits the year out. He doesn't sign the tender. He discusses some sort of issue he has with the Ravens and he just takes a year off. And the more he kind of outlined that the way it's going and just the lack of information that we have on what's going on in Lamar Jackson's world, it kind of makes sense that I could completely see him taking a year off without much background information, if you will. I don't know, Tom, Tom what, what say you? Do you think that's – is that in the cards for Lamar Jackson that he just goes, yeah, I'm good. Uh, I'll come back in 2024 see who I play for. You don't have to, but I almost feel like you have to in terms of the chips you've pushed in and how you're playing it and how you decided to play it and betting on yourself. If you kind of fold at this point and say, okay – I'll play for the franchise tag and we'll see what happens next year. It kind of, it's a win for the owners. They all look and say, see, this guy was trying to make us do something we didn't want to do. Just hold our ground. They'll eventually cave. 
I mean, it's it's the equivalent of the first guy for the NBA who turns down that rookie max extension that no one's ever done. So, you know, right. I know New Orleans is offering me $210 million if I'm Zion, but no, I'm just going to take my tender and I'm going to be a free agent next year. No one's ever done it. It's kind of that equivalent if Lamar is like, yeah, I'm going to pass on the whatever 30 plus million franchise tag and I'll sit and I'll wait and we'll see what happens. I mean, he's got to talk to Laramie Tunsil's guy, the mystery guy. He was on Laramie Tunsil. (laughs) Well, no, he's got a guy and I'm trying to find, I'm blanking on his name. I'm going to, I was trying to find it. He's got a guy. And this has been all over McAfee the last couple of days, and Rappaport was talking about it, who's in a helper, is a business associate helper who helped him with his contract stuff. Not an agent. And Tunsil was, was on with McAfee this more today, and Pac-Man was on. Like, who's that guy? Is that him? Does someone walk behind him? That's him. We need to meet him. Why can no one find him? Who is this guy? And uh, yeah, I'm blanking on his name, but Tunsil's like, and Pac-Man asked, Hey, what, what would you say to Lamar? I tell him, give me a call. I'll put him in touch with my guy. You know, it's amazing what a rebrand can do. It's kind of remember a couple of years ago, the NBA was going to be so progressive that they were going to ban the term owner and the people who, I guess, plunk down large amounts of money to acquire organizations. Uh, we're going to be known as governors. Now, I don't know if that necessarily really happened, but that was kind of the NBA's. We don't like the connotation of owner. You know, they, they, they don't own the players. I'm like, well, I mean, they own the organization. Most of the time they own the arena, but okay. You know, call them what you want. Uh, that, Players, Laramie Tunsil, Lamar Jackson, are looking at this going, I'm not going to have an agent. I'm just going to have a guy that works for me, negotiates my contracts, gives me legal advice, and I pay some amount of money. Not what he's saying. I'm not, I'm not giving him 15% or 12% or whatever it is that agents make. I'm going to choose what it is. It'll be a lump sum, which I'm sure you know when you're dealing with yeah. someone who has a law degree that uh, you're probably still not coming out on, on the better for that. But that's what this reeks of to me is that guys are – no, no, I, I've, I've got a guy. He's got a law degree, real sharp. He's, he's going to talk through my contract. Not an agent, though. St. Omni is his name. St. Omni. And I think Rappaport referred to him as an unauthorized advisor to help negotiate his deal. Because that's what you want to do. When, when you're about to sign a contract for life-changing money why would you want someone authorized hey he's the highest paid lineman in history so kudos saint omni sure sure but what is what does the inside of that contract look like that that's the the outside that's the yeah i mean the outside of the car looks like a million bucks it's it's got the paint color you like it's got you know the the roof you want the the convertible top 
got all the bells and whistles you want. What's under the hood? That's what I want to know. Yeah, on paper, richest contract. And sometimes that's all all people care about. And maybe that's all you wanted is the cachet of highest paid offensive linemen. It's great. But we know when we see these contracts that it's not always the shell that we see. It's not always the reported three years, 33 million. You know, comparing, and I, in my blog last week, I did this in comparing the Jacoby Myers deal with the Raiders to the Juju Smith-Schuster deal with the Patriots. Both of them on the outside, the, the thin candy shell, if you will, were three years and $33 million. The Raiders can get out of that deal after one year and $11 million. The Patriots are pretty much tethered to Juju for at least two years, but the guaranteed money is like 16. So in the end, what they're really on the hook for, the Patriots are two years and like 16 million, whereas the Raiders are under for like one year and 12. They're very different. So yeah, on the surface, it looks like Larry Tunsil made a great deal. He bet on himself and he came out on top. That's one side of this coin that we're looking at in the whole he bet on himself and it worked. Now we look at Lamar, who's betting on himself. There is no evidence to the contrary that he is betting on himself and winning right now. And we see this in sports all the time. Like you, you, you mentioned Zion Williamson and guys who was like, yep, they never turn that down because it's a sure thing. You don't do it. There, there are certain things you don't do. Look at Aaron Judge. He bet on himself a year ago says, I'm not going to sign the extension the Yankees want me to. I'm going to see. I'm going to bet on myself. I'm going to see what I do in 2022. And he set the American League home run record. Yeah, look at Xander That's Bogarts. That's an extreme case. Turned down the Bush League <laughs> tiny offer that the Red Sox gave him and made a fortune elsewhere. You know, if I was an unauthorized uh, representative for uh, anyone in Major League Baseball, my advice would be, to always turn down the Red Sox first offer. That's just me. That's just me. When they come to you and say, we'll give you five years and 72 million, take to the bank. You can make three times as much as that for <laughs> probably a year less. And live in a warmer climate. I'm already taking like a, a, a turn to negative town. You just bring up the Xander Bogart thing. They're already I going, know. oh man, we are, we, we are going to hear so much about the Red Sox being caught. They're going to be so in on Otani. They're going to be one of the four finalists. They're going to be, oh, the Red Sox made an offer to him, and then we're going to find out later after he signed $600 million for 10 years with the Mets that the Red Sox offered him like 320 for nine years with two team options, and they didn't want him to pitch. I don't know. It's I'm pretty mad. <laughs> the World Baseball Classic is already over. And the druthers of the Red Sox are already coming. Uh, not too much else really going on football-wise. Uh, what? Adam Thielen went to the Panthers. Said he met with the Broncos and sure. Cowboys, but felt the Panthers were the best fit. Okay. Uh, the Jets. Panther, Panthers are going to be like kind of interesting with, with some of the moves that they've they've made, and we'll see whatever quarterback they take there. They've they've quietly had kind of an intriguing off season, especially for a team in a division that there's really there, there's there's no clear cut winners yeah. there. I mean, what is it? Lately, they've been <laughs> saying Derek, Derek Carr and the Saints looks like the most stable option there. Yeah, I think lately they've been saying what C.J. Stroud. They think Panthers are leaning towards Stroud. I've seen that, and then all the evaluators go, yeah, but 
they should take Bryce Young. So I, I don't know. I, it's going to be an interesting one to see which, which direction they go in there. The Jets, as a theoretically prepare for Aaron Rodgers, traded Elijah Moore and a third-round pick to the Browns for a second-round pick. Making room for Randall Cobb, I presume. Or uh, they're, yeah, I mean, they could be getting some draft capital to uh, send to the Packers. You know, one of the sticking points is the Jets don't want to give up a first-rounder because they have, what, number 13, that they don't want to give up number 13 to the Packers. The Packers have heard, you know, obviously want the first-round pick this year. So, you know, maybe that's part of it. Maybe they're, all right, we're going to trade Elijah Moore, go get a number two and make it a, you know, two twos and a three or conditional picks or, you know, something along those lines. That was kind of my first thought. Then they go out and get McCole Hardman. So, like, ah, oh, we'll just go get a really fast receiver uh, to go with Alan Lazard and Garrett Wilson. I think it's going to be interesting because if you're the Jets, the reason you would want it done as soon as possible would be to let Aaron start getting to know everybody, start building some off-season chemistry. In theory, God, I've said that a lot today. i got to stop that. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's going to have probably a better idea of the playbook than anybody else on that roster because it's old Nat Hackett at the helm of the offense. But you would think he would want to work with his receivers a bit in the off season. But the longer you wait, the more desperate green Bay is going to get. Cause at a certain point, all of a sudden that like 59 million kicks in and they're going to be real, real hard to get rid of that cap number. I was listening. I can't remember who it was the other day. They made a great point that really the, the drop dead day, and there, there isn't a drop dead day, but if there was, the only hard out is the NFL draft because you want to do it before then so you can bring some talent in right now. You know, it's like you have a draft a month away. You don't want draft capital for 2024 because then what is 2023? What is this short amount of time now that you have Jordan Love to, for lack of a better term, audition for the starting job? because you have two more years of team control right now. And unless you push that clock back by inking some sort of extension, which doesn't seem smart, everyone wants a quarterback on the rookie deal. So extending that doesn't necessarily make sense before you've made any sort of evaluation in real games for, over, you know, more than mop up time or, you know, and his mop up time has not, and his mop up time has not always been great. In the first few years. No, I mean, he, he, he had a little flash last year where he looked okay, where people were starting to go, eh, maybe, maybe Jordan Love is all right. But the Jets um, have all the, Packers, the leverage. They do. They, they 100% do because the Packers, Mark Murphy kind of shot themselves in the foot by saying, yep, we're moving on. Well, uh, all right. I mean, they've really given themselves no out to say, now nah, we'll keep him. We'll, we'll have him play here. Aaron Rodgers, that 39 years old, is not sitting out a season. So, They've got to do it, and they've got to take whatever it is. Ultimately, I think they get something done. But even again, if you're the Jets, you want to know what picks you have in the upcoming draft and be prepared to make them. As much as you can sort of come up with that game plan in your head of, okay, we, we have this two that we just got from the Browns. We have the 13th pick. We're going to take, the, you know, 
this guy or this position group with that selection, you know everyone in that building is going, well, yeah, but we're, it doesn't matter because we're going to go get Aaron Rodgers. We're not going to have any of these picks. We may not have any of these picks. So what are we ultimately going to do with that? And what is that? how does that change your preparation? Uh, so right now they have to plan for kind of all contingencies. Uh, you got to plan like he's going to be there, but how do you build around him and, and what else do you go for? I don't know. It, it's I said a week ago, and I, I think I even wrote about it in the blog last week, talking about free agency in general. I was like, this is not going to be an easy process. As we've learned anything from Brett Favre in 2007. This is going to be a, a long, drawn-out process. It's going to be painful. It's going to take forever. We're going to be sick of talking about it. I think people already are. God, I know it would never happen, obviously, but how entertaining would it be if Rodgers went into training camp with the Packers and the Packers had put Jordan Love as number one on the depth chart? Fine, Aaron's coming back, but he's going to be Jordan Love's backup. And just the, I mean that situation oh. that essentially that essentially played out with Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, where the Packers had kind of he he indicated he was going to retire. The Packers were ready to move on with Aaron Rodgers, and then Favre showed up from minicamp. They're like, oh, didn't didn't know this was about to happen. And yeah, talk about a way to kind of call the Packers bluff as if this somehow doesn't get done before the draft. And, and I guess looking at that as a deadline isn't necessarily genuine that, you know, who knows the Jets could take players in theory to trade them to them, but it doesn't necessarily make sense for the Packers because you want to make those picks yourself. But I don't know. It, it's, it's already, and I think everyone's sort of behind is on the same page on this story, which is rare. Nowadays, everyone's looking at it going, God, just, just make it happen. Let's just move on. Like it, it was a week ago, he was on McAfee. Let's <laughs> let's just get on with this. Yeah, I, I'm assuming now. Obviously, whatever Tuesday was yesterday, as we record this, and he wasn't on this week. That would be hilarious if he just kept coming every Tuesday on McAfee. Well, got nothing to tell you guys. Uh, just waiting, just waiting here. We're good to go. We'll see. Look, he, he would, he, he would, yeah, he'd make a little comments. Just to reiterate, I have no big announcements to make, but I'm never playing for the Packers again. I love them with all my heart, but I, I'm never playing for that godforsaken franchise again. Uh, I could see him doing, going old school and just press conference, all, and he just, lines up all of the front office from the Packers and be like, F you, F you, F you, F you, the fans, you guys are cool, and F you, I'm out of here. You know what I'm already not looking forward to is like that moment in like 15 years when they welcome him back and like induct him into the Ring of Honor at Lambeau. And they're like, oh, you know, Aaron Rodgers returning for the first time, and it'll be such a awkward, like, you know, I, I don't know. I'm just not ready. I'm not ready for his smudgeness. Not ready for him to be like. I never had a problem with the Packers. I just decided to go on a different path. Just like Tom Brady. He's probably just hanging out with Wooderson. I, I imagine Aaron Rodgers just hangs out with guys like Wooderson. Just all right, all right, all right. 
I would be disappointed if Aaron Rodgers and Matthew McConaughey didn't hang out. <laughs> that just seems. Oh, they have. They have like camped at Joshua Tree and like dropped acid and and howled at the moon in loincloths or something. Like yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Interesting guy. That is, that is for sure. Yeah, he's still not as interesting as he thinks he is. He he thinks he's just fascinating. It's like, eh. yeah, you're 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 weird. <laughs> Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, I was going to make another joke. Not needed. Uh, any, th- any last thoughts, Pearl? No, I think we kind of hit everything. It, it, you're right. We're, we're in the midst of all this stuff happening, college basketball and world baseball classic. And there's kind of so much happening, but at the same time, it's like, yeah, there, there, there's bits of a lot of things, but not a lot of it is, you know, noteworthy if you will so more uh more to come hopefully more uh nfl free agency news maybe some i feel like there's gonna be some trades but i think it's gonna be closer to the draft a lot like last year when like the aj brown stuff was happening the debo samuel rumors and uh we started seeing like i think like jerry judy's gonna be traded i think we're gonna see something with hopkins soon uh i saw a tweet earlier that scott zolak said today that the patriots have a big announcement coming out tomorrow or gonna announce some big news doesn't seem like that would be personnel related. Something but, to do with uh, Tom Brady. Yeah, well, and that was one of my first thoughts. Is like, okay, is this going to be the Brady one day contract? Um, I got to tell you, it's been an emotional week. I watched the Devin McCourty retirement press conference yesterday, and this was like an hour after Dante Hightower released an article on the on, uh, the Players Tribune that he was officially you know, retiring. He didn't play in 2022 uh, by his choice, so he announced his retirement and. Then, then you yeah, watch just, 80 just kind of in my feels. Then you watch 80 for Brady and just broke down. I I might I might you know when, when you start to realize that the uh, the Seattle Super Bowl Super Bowl 49 was almost 10 years ago you start going wait a minute like what what is happening? Don't like this. Make sure you are checking out all of Sterling's columns up on the Facebook pages Uncommon Media VT on everything there if you want to be a part of the show you want to sponsor the show maybe some suggestions you can hit us up uncommonmediavt at gmail.com we'll be back next week right here on the new sports order